0: Injured in a car accident, we cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. Let's go into the night with Rick Palou on 1010XL, 92.5 FM.
1: All right, the truth teller feels a little bit like the gift giver. Because around the National Football League, you have got to be kidding me, everything is setting up for the Jaguars to continue this role tomorrow night, then a week from Sunday, and then follow that up with the home finale against the Tennessee Titans. If you have not heard, reports are now out. Ryan Tannehill, done for the remainder of the year, um... He had been struggling as of late anyway. This feels like the passing offense, and Tennessee has been totally, completely non-existent. It is the worst offense in the NFL, and that's something to say considering, as you all know, they have one of the better running backs in the game. And I I would say that through the first seven, eight, maybe nine games, when you look at King Henry, he was the only running back that was being thrown around with four or five quarterbacks for possibly going out and winning the MVP. He has struggled. Yeah, he went north of 100 yards against Jacksonville a couple of weeks ago. We remember he had 96 of those in the very first quarter, but Jacksonville only allowed two yards rushing from him in the third and fourth quarter combined. I think he ended up with like 121 or 123, something like that. So when it was all said and done, you know, Jacksonville able to contain the run, and and that is huge because now when you look at the New York Jets and how they won their game a year ago, the day after Christmas in New Jersey, it was all about running the football, and this year's Jets team doesn't have the same offensive game plan when it comes to being able to get it done on the ground. Obviously, Jacksonville is really hurt now in the ditch with a couple of significant injuries, but I'll get there momentarily I mean the numbers don't support it Tennessee averages 18.2 a game uh, the Jets who you get tomorrow night average 20.1 a game you just look at those teams and it's totally opposite from what we just witnessed three days ago where I thought it would take 30 to win it it would have taken 35 right Jacksonville dropped the 40 burger as our buddy uh, Tim Brando likes to say, a 40-burger, and they never look back, getting it done in overtime. Health and, you know, everything. This game is all about the things that you cannot control. Health, logistics, the intangibles, they really come into play before this football game. Tomorrow night, a little bit of Jets money. They're a one-point favorite. Over Jacksonville, of course, we'll have everything for you beginning at 3 o'clock tomorrow, all throughout the game, early into the wee hours of a Friday morning as well. All right, the very latest for Jacksonville, and it it basically goes as expected. Uh, Cam Robinson, I was told today, actually did have surgery on his knee, on his meniscus, and that happened earlier today, so you were aware of the fact that he wasn't going to play anyway throughout the remainder of the regular season, and it appears that he has lost uh, regardless of how far this football team does go. Defensively, there in the ditch, this becomes a problem. You know, you look at a former Jet and what you wanted out of Foley Fatucassi, and, you know, or, or Foley Fatucassi, excuse me, he's not going to be able to go with the ankle and, you know, I spent a lot of time this week uh, discussing James Robinson and he's been inactive. Robert Sala has not given him any opportunities. Again, you just look at what's going on with the New York Jets. All of a sudden, you know, they're struggling to run the football and you would think that just common sense says, oh, James Robinson, Jacksonville traded him just a few months, you know, just what, six weeks ago. Made that move uh, to send him here to New Jersey. Here come the Jaguars. Uh, Let's give him an opportunity in this game to show what he is all about. It doesn't work that way. At least, I guess it doesn't work that way in professional athletics. Because it seems to me like it would make a whole heck of a lot of sense. But when you look at the Jets, I mean, they've lost four out of their last five. They've lost three in a row. And, you know, they played with Detroit last week. And you know how well the Lions have been getting it done as of late. That was a close football game, 20-17. to 17. So, Robert Sala is going to line up his players and put the best guys out there that he thinks gives this football team, um, you know, the greatest opportunity to get a W, and it appears it's not going to be James Robinson. We'll know officially. But the flip side of this is with Big Foley, he didn't hear a lot, he even here, you know, in the city, I, as a matter of fact, I think some may forget where did Foley come from? You know, where did Foyer come from? Where did a Jacksonville native in, in Darius come from? I, I, I think we're so measured on the draft that when you bring in key free agents, you may forget where they came from. Where, where did Roy Robertson Harris come from? Where did Ray Rayshon Jenkins come from? come from? Where did Shaq Griffin come from? So you kind of catch my drift on that and it's it, it's just the way of the world. If you're not really a huge name, I mean Foyer Alulikon led the NFL in tackles last year in Atlanta. He's leading the NFL this year in tackles for the Jaguars. I just don't think enough has been made out of it on the other side with, with Fado Cassie but here's my my point on it. Alright? They're hurt all of a sudden. They really are. And I'm very interested on what they're going to do on game day, all right? I have openly wondered about the very end of their healthy game day roster. And I got to tell you, I I, I feel like um, in some circles, I should do some research and go from team to team to kind of find this out. I haven't. It's not because I'm lazy. I just... I don't know why it is, but my point is, when you look at the bottom of the roster for Jacksonville, you know, they burn Snoop Connor, who gives you three plays. And I understand he's a special teamer. They give you Luke Farrell, who gave you three plays. And again, I get the fact that he's a special teamer. Dan Arnold gave you seven plays last week. Tim Jones gave you nine snaps last week. Jamal Agnew was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, the guy was on the field for 10 snaps. There were five to- you know, he actually touched the ball five times. There was an incomplete pass. So 60% of the time that he's on the field, the ball is coming to him. And he has been magnificent. Again, I've kind of termed him Duvall's VJ, uh, Vinny Johnson, from back in the days when he came off the pond in Detroit and would spell either Isaiah Thomas or Joe Dumars. He was instant offense. That's the way I look at Jermichael Hasty And Chris Manhurts as well, who I think in a game like tomorrow night, he only had 16 snaps in the victory over the weekend against Dallas. I I can see Manhurts getting many more because I kind of envision a sloppy track in a ball game where running the football and stopping the run is going to be very important because of the field conditions, because of the way – That Mother Nature is going to present this one. I'm not saying that we're still not going to see big plays and opportunities by both Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. For the record, I love Jacksonville's chances no matter which way you look at this game. But if it becomes a you can't really rely on the run for one reason or another, I'm certainly going to take Lawrence right now over Wilson. But the other side of it I just don't like what the Jets offer up when it comes to running the football. That's why today's news of Trayvon Walker missing a second consecutive game with an ankle and Fado uh, Fado Kassai not being able to go with the ankle hurts you in the ditch. So what are you going to do? Is Corey Peters going to get a little bit more burn? Uh, Let's see. Corey Peters, 31 plays. Ah. he, I mean, he was inactive a couple of weeks ago. He gave you 31 snaps the other day. Somewhat invisible, and that's okay for an interior uh, defensive lineman. We've seen the snap count grow now on a week-to-week basis for both Arden Key and Dewan Smoot at 41 and 47, respectively. Maybe this is an opportunity for Adam Gotsis to get a little bit more burn. Maybe this is an opportunity for Caleb on chase on, on the outside to perhaps get some more playing time. But what I'm trying to say is I, I wish they would do somewhat of a different style of uh, of game planning and maybe kick out a Tim Jones or maybe kick out a Luke Farrell and get yourself a backup tackle. Right now, the Jaguars don't have a backup tackle. Okay, you have Juwan Taylor with a hamstring at the right tackle position. You got Walker Little... At the left tackle position. If someone gets hurt, my guess is it's Cole Van Lennon, who is a guard by trade. You got Coy Cronk down on the practice squad. Are you going to bring him up? Uh, They brought, what, Bobby Massey in for a look yesterday. They didn't sign him. Uh, You can't possibly tell me that you're going into this football game with only two healthy tackles. I mean, what is this team going to do? So, I'm still... You know, eyes open, ears open over the next 24 hours to see if the Jaguars end up making a transaction. The backup offensive lineman right now on the roster, Blake Hance, he's a guard. Cole Van Lanen, he's a guard. And that's it. Okay? That's seven deep. They're going to have to bring someone up. My understanding is if something, you know, and say what you want about Taylor. The guy went out. And then the guy came back in with a hamstring, and he played. If he was to go down in, you know, awful temperatures tomorrow night, it's going to be just over-freezing, and, you know, that is my understanding. It's going to be a wet rain. It's not going to come down a little bit where we could get snow, which would certainly be more entertaining uh, to watch. But at this particular point, you know, it's all about finding your way through a victory. Uh, You want the surface to be the best that it can if the hamstring goes i got to believe it's Cole Van Lennon as you're starting right tackle so yeah that that uh that's slightly um uh, that's just awful there's really no Concerned. other way to say it there's no other way to say it and yeah i'm just trying to figure out what this team is doing here and we we've, we've been bragging about them we've been crediting them and they deserve it all but i see what Jay Tufele did again Last week, and, and all of a sudden, this team is begging for some depth along that defensive line. And, you know, what other moves are, are they going to make? I, I'm examining the practice squad right now. You have Jeremiah Ledbetter as a defensive tackle. Okay, they did re-sign Tyree Gillespie today, who was cut earlier in the week. They brought him back to the practice squad. You have Nick Thurman. As a defensive tackle so you know th- those are the two that you have who are flying with the team on the practice squad and and not to be redundant the guys down you know on the practice squad as far as offensive linemen are Daryl Williams who's a center Coy Cronk who is a legitimate offensive tackle and then Jimmy Murray who was listed as a guard so That's where this football team is at this particular time. You know, and I spent a lot on this because if you go back to last year's game, New York, what they were able to do, if you forget, on the ground was just incredibly damaging to Jacksonville. In this game, the Jets ran it 36 times for 273 yards. Now, Jacksonville, unfortunately, has been on the other side of giving up 200-yard rushing games the last several years. And whenever that happens, you know what the end result is. It's a loss. Last year, Michael Carter went 16 for 118. We remember the 52-yard touchdown run by Zach Wilson. Uh, Tevin Coleman had a pretty good game. They're not nearly the same rushing attack this year. So I like Jacksonville in their chances against the Jets, even though Jacksonville is down a couple of key guys on the defensive line. All right, a few other things. Uh, on the other side, we'll hit this. The Jets are beaten up too. All right? And the biggest story there is with Quinnen Williams. He is their best player. He is a superstar. Okay? He's very good against the run. You remember him, a top pick. Out of SC a couple of years ago, his brother Quincy was here for two years. He's playing very well uh, for the New York Jets. Doesn't get the recognition of his brother. Uh, Williams has 11 sacks this year. You're not going to find out until 90 minutes, until kickoff tomorrow. So what? Game is expected to start around 8.50. We're not going to know until, you know, again, 90 minutes away. As to whether or not this guy can play, and and this is huge. And you know, I'm like you, you, you you'll you'll do whatever it takes to to get your team a victory, but you don't ever want to see some guy get hurt and have him not be able to play. But my goodness, look at everything that is happening now in and around Jacksonville, um, particularly with Ryan Tannehill, who apparently is gone for the remainder of the season. In Tennessee, you know, I said it Monday and I said it Tuesday. I'm certainly not going to back away from it now. I think Houston wins that game this weekend. And I've been saying it all along. I didn't know that Ryan Tannehill wasn't going to be able to answer the bell. But even though he is a game manager, even though he's probably in his final days in Nashville, you still give them as an organization at this particular time, A much better chance to win a football game with Tannehill under center as opposed to Malik Willis. They also did sign former Jaguar Josh Dobbs, who of course played college football at Tennessee. He is now the backup quarterback for the Tennessee Titans. What a mess up there. Are we on YouTube tonight, JJ? We are
2: on YouTube. As always, go to 1010XL's YouTube page. We are the first video. And join the chat. We already got a couple people in there. Uh, Give us a like. Share us with your friends.
1: All right. Tonight's comments brought to you by Shmunez Vision. Why Shmunez Vision? Well, they're absolutely the best, and they're located out at the beach. We're talking about 37 years' worth of experience. You know, I went and visited uh, today and had a great acupuncture from Dr. Michael... Shinatri and he's getting in in early January to get laser eye surgery and he's going to do it right there at Shmunez and that's what it's all about he's like I've basically given up when it comes to contacts and glasses I can't trust them anymore I'm going through life not being able to actually see and you may be in that category right it just got dark recently you may be struggling driving home then once you get home You know, you sit down in front of the TV and everything looks okay. But all of a sudden your phone, maybe a text message pops up in your phone. You got to go find your readers because you can no longer read your phone. It's just one thing after another. It happens. The older we get and longer throughout the period of the day into the night, more strain on your eyes. They become less effective. That's just the way that it goes. So you look at the repertoire. You look at what they offer. At Schmunez Vision. Incredible. High quality medical and surgical eye care. Cataract surgery if needed. You may have an issue with cataract or cataracts, and it can be fixed as simple as that. All refractive surgery. And again, with Dr. Catherine Schmunez, you're talking about more than 30 years of laser eye surgery. So call them today, 299 2906, or go to schmunezvision.com. Care you can see? Best way to get a hold of us is on the text line. Brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures. That number is six four one ten ten. Next to JJ. My name is Rick Belue. We go tonight till eight o'clock.
0: Oh yeah, Santa Claus is in a little bit of a Christmas mood. There's Prosser screaming at Joe. You once more. E.T. sipping and a Rick Ballou checking FSU scores and Frangie singing songs off key. Kind of ironic, huh? Into the night with Rick Ballou on 1010XL 92.5 FM. God help us. Helps to make the season bright. Helmets and heels, those voices aglow. Take us to the stars on. It always smells good on Tuesday night, loved, uh,
1: on the Tuesday night <laughs> after the helmets and heels, ladies. You please. love
2: a, a nice songwriter. Right after I would today. put Dan Hicken up there with the best, as far
1: as songwriting yeah. or, or vocals.
2: <laughs> songwriting. No, <laughs> yeah. did he write this? I don't know. No. I no. I think him and Tom Fridley have like a a Paul McCartney, <laughs> John Le- John Lennon type relationship. Where you never really know who wrote it, they both well, get sucked. they hate each other Is that what you're <laughs> <laughs> they both get credit, so I'm not sure
1: no. Thank you for another one, Dan. Another winner it's um yeah, it's uh you know, and th- there are times where when I get a lot of cocktails in me, I love doing the karaoke, and that's fun, but serious stuff like that i just i just don't know and you know he can he can, does a good job I'll, I'll give him some credit there he does a decent job and you mentioned um McCart- uh mccartney and who'd you say lennon mm-hmm. or harrison well didn't
2: didn't lennon and mccartney like most yeah. of their songs they split were, credits yeah exactly yeah. even if one of them wrote it they still
1: split it yeah they split it and you know i because i was reading yet and i wasn't even aware of this i'm reading a book now on uh, Fleetwood Mac with, uh, with Mick Fleetwood. And, of course, Patti Boyd was with George Harrison. Then she left George Harrison to go with Eric Clapton. Mm. And there's been a ton of songs written about Patti Boyd, including Layla and Wonderful Tonight and Bell Bottom Blues and, a, wow. and Something by the Beatles Those and others. Those are
2: all written about the same lady? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, this,
1: this, this young lady was
2: spectacular. She
1: was well-traveled. But her younger sister was married to Mick uh, Fleetwood twice. And I didn't know that until last night. So there you go. I find myself reading more and more about rock and roll, a little less about uh, sports as of late. Not sure why that is. Hey, with that said, though, what a sad story today with Franco Harris and just how you know how ironic that is that getting ready to celebrate the 50 years of the Immaculate reception, you know, back in the day where very few saw it. Um, You know, historically speaking, they still don't have the replay. You know, they didn't have all the camera angles. I guess it was just NFL films uh, back then or whoever ran the particular game. You got to remember in that era, I mean, look at the first Super Bowl. It was on two networks at the same time. And they didn't even get a lot of ratings. It was like NBC and CBS had it. They both ran the Super Bowl. Okay? We're not even allowed to say Super Bowl anymore. Do you realize that... The big game. The NFL, in the NFL mafia, if you want to have a Super Bowl party, you will get fined. As a radio station, if you are caught saying... Come join us this Sunday! It's the ten ten XL Super Bowl party. We're gonna be—you're not allowed to say that. That—that's how things have changed. The first ever Super Bowl. Again, you had two different broadcast teams and two different, totally different entities that that actually did it. But
2: think about the halftime show. You know, they used to do like marching band it was up with people yeah, up with people did a lot of them yeah now it's like part right, of the ninth consecutive year <laughs> ninth
1: consecutive. now look at miss ballerina she's back for her ninth <laughs> straight super bowl halftime performance she during the when she's not with up with people she's a waitress over at al's diner <laughs> yeah nowadays who knows what's it's like
2: 45 minutes they pay the artists like millions or actually they don't pay the artists I learned that last year because it's such a boom for them that they're willing to do it for free. But it's a whole, you know, you know who does it. Who is it now?
1: Let me look it up. Man, I remember some great ones like U2 and Prince. Um, yeah, Prince was great. Uh, you know, the Who did it, and they were massively criticized. Rihanna. Wasn't last year like Snoop Dogg? Did they have Snoop Dogg like blowing yeah, a so bone? I, like right I, on, he was smoking dope right on the field. Remember so that?
2: I bet with my bookie that you could that Snoop would be smoking during the halftime performance, and I lost the bet because on TV they didn't show up. But the next morning it was all over Twitter that he was like crouched down behind the stage, like getting high during the show. Well, maybe that should so teach never got some of the books. Back. Yeah, to, exactly.
1: To avoid some of these. Absurd props. Yeah, yeah. This year it'll be a Rihanna. That do come up, you know, particularly for the Super Bowl. Uh, but this is a big blow for 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 old school football fans. You know, you think of the and and when you grew up in that era of the seventies, I I think for the most part, and it may have been different down here because of the Miami Dolphins and the success they had in the very early seventies. But I know that growing up in Boston, you were either a Pittsburgh fan or you were going the other way and you were a Dallas fan. And it was considered one of the greatest rivalries of all time. And it it's so weird because they were in different conferences. And, of course, you know, Pittsburgh dominated. They won four Super Bowls in the 70s. They had two Hall of Fame wide receivers. They had the best center arguably ever in Mike Webster. They had a four-time winner at quarterback in Terry Bradshaw, and, you know, Rocky Blyer, and then Franco Harris. And then you had the steel curtain defense. Yeah, I still remember the three linebackers, uh, Jack Lambert and Jack Hammer in the Hall of Fame. Andy Russell was spectacular. Mel Blunt was, you know, one of the first real big, imposing, physical meet-you-with-the-line-of-scrimmage defensive backs back when there were totally different rules. When you were allowed to legitimately you know, beat the tar out of Drew Pearson or Tony Hill or Golden Richards or whoever it was going to be that was going to line up. But this is like a a massive uh, hit, historically speaking. And I've heard so many great things said about Franco Harris. I wish I could comment on that. I don't believe I ever have interviewed him. I've interviewed a lot of great Steelers, but I, I don't think I ever I ever did uh, with Franco. Um, and he was beloved in Pittsburgh. You know, he played at Penn State. He stayed, obviously, uh, in Pennsylvania uh, for the majority of his career. He was a big guy, 6'2", 230. I mean, he used to get picked on a little bit for running out of bounds. He kind of had the Eric Dickerson... In them that if there's going to be contact, should I pick up the other, the extra half yard, uh, yard, whatever, or should I save my body and run out of bounds? But uh, it's a big blow, and it's just uh, amazing to me that here it is happening a couple of days before this huge celebration. I want to say the NFL Network, I was watching them this morning. They have like a big scheduled deal on Friday, like a, a... you know, a, a big operation, a whole documentary on the immaculate reception. Do you remember that? Bradshaw uh, he looked like Trevor Lawrence the other day. He avoids pressure. I think it's like Matuzak and Sistrunk and guys like that. And He fires the ball. And, and Jack Tatum, the same guy that we talked mm-hmm. about a few months ago, who was responsible for the Daryl Stingley hit, which left him paralyzed. And that is a great sports book that I read many moons ago, and I do recommend it. It's called the uh, – they call me the assassin by, uh, by Jack Tatum. Tatum's the one who had the hit. And I didn't realize that. Yes. I want to say it was uh, to Frenchy, and I can't remember his name, but it was a ball to Frenchy, and Tatum hit him, and the ball came ricocheting out of there. And, of course, when Franco makes the grab, It looks like there's no way he's going to be able to outrun the secondary. And for some reason, he he does. And he hangs on. So
2: I I originally had only seen the clip, you know, of. Him reaching down, you know, the one that they show all the time, the old slow-mo of him reaching down and getting it off the turf almost. It's the
1: only one they have, and, and, but and I, I they, watch- don't, they don't they don't—they show whether or not he caught it.
2: Yeah, I, so I'm watching the original broadcast video of it where you don't see him make the catch. It's out of frame. But um, he catches it. Uh, yeah, so Bradshaw out of the pocket of the right, pump fake, goes under a guy. So it looks like he catches it at, like, the 30-yard line or 40-ish yard line. And one of the safeties for the Cowboys has, like, an easy angle on him. You would think he can get him out of bounds, but he just outruns him. And for a big dude, it doesn't— For the Raiders, yeah. Yeah, uh, Raiders, excuse yep. me. For the, a big dude, it looked like Franco Harris has some speed. Mm-hmm. I saw a video or, a, excuse me, a picture of him standing next to Frank Gore. And Frank Gore is, like, a, a little person compared to him. It just shows, like, the generations, like, the difference of size of these guys. Well, they're— How much bigger you had to be to— And, you know, would they get, like, 30 carries a game back then? I I mean, oh, yeah.
1: I mean, outside of Derrick Henry—
2: Nobody's like that You know, O.J.
1: Simpson, I'm trying to think of backs who were, like, 6'2 or bigger. You know, Dickerson may have been that tall. O.J. Simpson may have been that tall. But, you know, I think of the great backs of that era— you know when you had Chuck Foreman, you had Lydell Mitchell,
2: Dickerson 6'3".
1: Um, even Earl Campbell and Tony Dorsett. Uh, I, you know I don't believe they were north of six foot. Certainly not six two. Yeah, I'm trying to think of some others: uh, Terry Metcalf, uh, Jim Otto,
2: Larry Zonka six uh, three, Dickerson six three, uh, John Riggins six two, Jim Brown six two, Marcus Allen 6'2".
1: Marcus Allen six two. Are those the tallest of all time?
2: No, the tallest of all time is Ben Cohn okay, well he 6'5", and then Brandon Jacobs, who you remember from the
1: Giants. Brandon Jacobs. 6'4". He was a house. Well, he left Auburn because he played behind Cadillac, and who's the other great back? that? Ronnie all, Brown. Ronnie Brown. And then he went off to, what was it, Southern Illinois? Yeah, Salukis. Or, or something yeah, like that, Southern Brandon Auburn. Jacobs. Yeah, but, but most backs are a little bit smart. Do you happen to have with Earl Campbell? Was there in front of you? Let's see. Because Earl Campbell was absolutely my favorite back. Sam the Bam Cunningham. When Earl I, Campbell,
2: 5'11", 1030.
1: Yeah. yeah. You don't see a lot of tallbacks. Uh, Steven Jackson was up there a little bit. Uh, gotta believe Terrell Davis. Oh,
2: Steven Jackson was huge, yeah. man. Mm-hmm. That guy's super underrated career for Steven Jackson. Unfortunately, he was stuck at a... Just a god awful Rams team for a long time.
1: Um Steven Jackson six two. Good call. Oh, getting a lot coming in here. And even a a couple of uh uh Steven Jackson references. Eddie George uh coming in, Herschel uh coming in. Zonka six three, two forty. Yeah, I uh, I'll give you Larry Zonka when he was back there with Mercury Morris and Jim Kick, right? Uh, but uh, there's a handful. But my point is, I mean, every wide receivers, for the most part, is north of six foot. OK, uh, there hasn't been a lot of, you know, traditionally speaking, running backs who are taller than uh, six foot.
2: Frankie Fru- Fruqua is uh
1: That's the guy with the collision. You were trying to think of. Yeah, earlier. We pull this up before the break just to. See if I know what I'm talking about or if I'm uh, completely numb. Uh, Josh Jacobs leads the league in rushing. He's 5'10". Okay. We know about Derrick Henry, and I excluded him. Nick Chubb, third. He's 5'11". Saquon Barkley, six foot. Uh, Miles Sanders, okay, 5'11". Dalvin Cook, I I don't care what they list him at. He's probably 5'9". They say here 5'10". We'll give them the inch. Uh, we just saw him in town here last week. Tony Pollard, 5'11". Uh, you know, Christian McCaffrey, uh, 5'11". Yeah, most backs are around that size. But uh, Franco was a... A big back. He was a big back, but he didn't run like he didn't run like Larry Zonka. You know, it was third and one. Everyone knew to give the ball to Larry Zonka. You know, Earl Cam- Earl Campbell. Those type of backs. Franco, as a big back, uh, could move. He had a little bit of wiggle to him, a little bit of finesse uh, to him, and he was also on an incredible football team with an outstanding offensive line and, you know, Hall of Famers all around him there in Pittsburgh. So he will be missed. He has passed today at the age of 72. All right, let me do return. Let's grab some of your input. How you feeling? This is our last chance to talk before the game. All right? Uh, to me, what, a, what is alarming is they're going to be predicted by most to win. They were not last week against Dallas. They were not last week against Tennessee. They ended up, or two weeks ago against Tennessee, they were underdogs, and they overachieved. And they came from behind in both of those contests. What about tomorrow night, where during the pregame show, when all the studio analysts and everyone makes their picks, you're going to get a lot of Jaguar picks, and does that have any effect on them as a team? I, I don't know the answer to that question. But the point I'm making is this game to me feels more like a trip to Detroit than it does you know, going to Los Angeles or like it did going to Nashville. Do you feel me on this or do you disagree? Either way, let me know. Best way to do so is on the text line brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures. That number is six four one ten ten.
0: Let's go into the night with Rick Ballew on 1010XL, 92.5 FM. All right, I want to thank the listening audience because we have officially
1: heard from every single running back in the history of the AFL and NFL, maybe even the CFL, who has been six foot or bigger. Getting a lot of the Nigerian nightmare with, uh, with Christian Okoye.
2: And I just went on his uh, Twitter, dude. The guy, first of all, from September 10th, he posted a picture with The Rock. He looks bigger than The Rock. Like, the guy's ripped. Yeah. Diesel. He looks like he's 35 years old. Really? Congratulations.
1: Yes. He was back there with Barry with Ward. These, like, Barry Mark- Ward was a pretty big back.
2: Yeah. I'm not. I don't know any of these '80s guys, but I, when they get out of the NFL, there's one of two things that happen. They get so out of shape. Or they look like that. Right. Congratulations. There's no
1: in-between with these dudes. No, and, you know, I mean, most of them end up in coaching or broadcasting. Mm -hmm. Others, if if you were in that platform, you would think that along the way you would make the right connections. So when your career comes to an end, you understand that most of your life is is still ahead of you. I mean, most NFL players' careers are over by the age of 25, 26. The average life expectancy of an NFL career is like three and a half years. So Let's say you get out of college at 21, 22. Brother, you're dumb by 25 or 26. And I don't care how much bank you have. You better have something else that you can fall back on. I mean, we often kid about, oh, if I had all this money, you know, I'd just sit on the beach every day, smoke cigars, drink, and have a great time. But sooner or later, that money's going to run dry.
2: Especially if you bought a house, you bought a nice car that you have to pay for, you know, you got kids, whatever, that'll go, that drains fast. Um, We had a guy on from Gridiron Greats last week, which is an organization that helps dudes like that, that like, hey, I'm retired, I'm out of cash, I need a surgery, or I need a car, or whatever. So, like, there is things out there for those older guys that, you know, that generation didn't get money. Like, nowadays, if you're in the league and you get to a second, you know, contract, you're pretty set, you know, for the rest of your life if you play things right. Well, that's
1: because— Back then, not so much. Well, the union was terrible. Yes, and the NFLPA now has gotten much better, and even in the latest collective bargaining agreement, they made it better as far as former players and the pension. I actually enjoy that conversation with ex NFL players because there are different options about when you can start your pension. Obviously, the younger you are when you get it, the less you're going to make if right. you if you wait more, more and more. But uh, you know, and. You just the NFLPA got abused forever. I mean, two they a days. They still do
2: comparatively to the
1: other leagues, but yeah, way but they've than changed before. so Absolutely. much. I mean, they used to be two a days and hitting, and yeah. none of that stuff happens anymore. There it, used to
2: be like seven preseason games. There
1: was never voluntary work, um, Tuesday off. I mean, there's just so many things that have changed for the better over the years. All right, let's continue with this again. I appreciate all that. I the point I was trying to make is to me, Franco was one of the first really big backs, big you know big backs who was a a really good back. And you know I'm looking at Barry Sanders and Emmitt Smith and Billy Sims and and backs like that. They they weren't big, but I I have here on the text line. And I appreciate it. Um, every big back who's ever played uh, in the NFL. Hey, listen. That's what the listeners are going to do, and I have zero problem with it. 35 25 Blue is a diehard Jags fan. I often fall victim to buying in and getting hyped up. Why do I feel the Jets game is going to be a trap? Can you give me some numbers to keep my head high? Gives us a Duval. Well, I love numbers, and I crunch them all the time. And let me tell you this this is a really good defense in New Jersey. This is one of the best defenses. In the NFL, and last week's defense in Dallas had a lot of spectacular in it, right? Number one in sacks, forty-eight. They had, they were third in the NFL in in and third down defensive conversion rate. And what did Jacksonville? We where they go eight for twelve or something crazy like that? I have it right here. I was talking about it earlier in the week. It's amazing that Detroit was allowing. Way more than 50% on third down defense. And Jacksonville on the road went 3 of 12 on third down in Jacksonville. Yet last week here against arguably the best defense in the NFL and certainly one of the better uh, third down conversion defenses in the NFL, Jacksonville goes 8 for 12. So go figure. But the Jets only allow 18.8 a game. Okay? That's better than Jacksonville. Jacksonville allows 23.4 a game. They only allow 111 yards a game on the ground. And they only allow 193.9 yards a game in the air. The, The Jets' passing defense, let me see it right here. The Jets' passing defense is, where the heck did you, uh, well, that's offense, blue. come on. The the computer's going a little bit healthier, skelter They're third. The, actually, they're fourth. The, the, the Jets are fourth in passing defense. 193 yards a game. That's all they allow. And, you know, I know that there's always a way that you can cook books. You know, it's a 7-7 seven seven team, and you could say, well, teams get way out ahead, so – they're going to run the ball, so the rushing numbers will be bigger and the passing numbers will be lower because you're not forced to pass in the third or fourth quarter. That doesn't apply here because look at their rushing defense. Their top 10 as well, 111 yards a game. It's a really good defense. problem with the Jets is they are limited offensively. And, oh, by the way, the numbers can lie here with New York because they do average more than 20 points a game. But they aren't running the football now the way that they once were. Just over 100 yards a game. Uh, Passing 230 yards a game. And we know that they've had multiple quarterbacks. And obviously, White is out. I didn't even get into their injuries. Three of their wide receivers are not going to play. Okay? Officially out. Let me find this for you. As a matter of fact, let me get to that to begin our our second hour. I I pulled this up to uh, defend a point. Uh, that I was making a little bit earlier. What the heck did I do with that? Uh, Here it is right here, okay? I remember this exact grid last week out of the 10 that were featured. One out of the 10 picked Jacksonville. The other nine selected Dallas. Here we go. Game preview picks for tomorrow night. There's 10 here. I believe it's the NFL Network. I'll just give you their last name because they give me just their – First initial. Rank the Jets. Daniel Jeremiah. Jaguars. Nice. I think it's Colleen Wolf, right? Jaguars. Uh not Brant. This is Grant. Uh, Grant, Jaguars. Uh Patra. Jets. Gordon. Jaguars. Maurice Jones. True. We know him. Jets. Twenty three nineteen. Disgrace. All right, Edholm, Jaguars, Sessler, Jets, Shook, Jags. Six to four, Jacks. that's my point. So that is what this game becomes a part of. And by the way, this is what the entire transition becomes a part of. How many times have we said this over the years about Florida State and Florida and Miami? I mean, Florida State, 9-3 and this year, but they should have beaten Wake Forest. They should have beaten North Carolina State. When a team really takes a turn for the better, you beat the teams you are supposed to beat. And then every once in a while, you pull off a big upset. Well, Jacksonville was pulled off those upsets. Tomorrow night... I don't care what the final line says. It may go as deep as New York minus one, New York minus one and a hook. We'll, we'll have to say, all right? The Jaguars are a better team. Jacksonville needs to win this game on the road against the Jets. And they got it all right there in front of them. And look at what they're going to be facing. You're going up against Zach Wilson tomorrow night. Then you're going to be going up. Next Sunday against the combination of Jeff Driscoll and Davis Mills. And then you're going to be going up against Malik Willis and maybe Josh Dobbs here for the season finale. And who have they knocked off this year? Well, they knocked off Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert. Last week, Dak Prescott. What other great quarterback have the Jaguars knocked off last year? Okay, they, they've also lost to a couple of crummy ones. Davis Mills the first time. Obviously, Denver, it, it's not a great year uh, for Russell Wilson. Uh, they lost to Carson Wentz. That hurts a little bit. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, that's basically it. One other, one other announcement today as well. Indy, they're, they're, they're benching. Matt Ryan, they're going to Nick Foles, and I guess the Ellinger project
2: is—that's over. He's done. So we may haven't realized Foles was on the team.
1: We may have a Nick Foles Jeff Driscoll matchup Sunday. Christ, I think it's going to still be Davis Mills.
2: Yeah, because he looked decent
1: last week. How about if it came down to big Nick Foles to? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Who does Indy have left? They, they're kind of like the missing equation in all this. And boy, man, they blew that thirty-three to nothing lead. I don't know how you can. You know get what's back funny? If the they would
2: have won that game, you know the Jags obviously hadn't played yet. They would have had a half-game lead. On I know. And it,
1: it, last week I was issued drug tests because <laughs> I actually came out and said that I was more concerned about Indianapolis than Tennessee. <laughs> I was so convinced the week ago that Tennessee was dead, and they are dead. So the Colts could play spoiler. Um they, they got play at, Monday yeah. night. They play
2: the Chargers at home. And then the next week, uh, January 1st, they play the Giants on the road. It's a, the last right. game of the season is the Texans. doesn't matter.
1: They're basically a non-factor. The only thing they can do is knock would-be possible wild-card teams out. Which if is you, fun. If you look at the Chargers and you look at the— Uh, the Giants. All right, let's get ready for our second hour. 6401 1010 best way to get a hold of us on the text line. That is brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures. Great to have you with us. My name is Rick Ballew. Tonight, we're with you till 8.
0: Into the night with Rick Ballew on 1010XL 92.5 FM.
1: All right, no Philly godfather tonight. He is with his mother, and they're doing all that holiday stuff. He'll join us next week. Same with our friend John Osher, was traveling. We'll get back with uh, with Johnny O. Wish him both a Merry Christmas. Jacksonville, three starters out. Cam had surgery today on his knee. It's the opposite knee of the torn ACL. I had quite a few people asked me that. This is the different knee. Uh, big Foley won't go in the ditch tomorrow night as well. Trayvon Walker, the top overall pick. He will miss his second consecutive game with a high ankle sprain. The big news for the New York Jets is Quentin Williams going to be able to go. All right? They're already without Jeff Smith and Denzel Mims as wide receivers. We know Mike White is definitely out. It's going to be Zach Wilson. They have some other injuries I'll go through as well. Uh, coming up here in just a little bit. twenty nine sixty five says Baloo. Jacksonville is actually third, the third-best offense in third-down completions. All right? Uh, so, it's 3-3. Three and three. There's a damn close game. Uh, Jacksonville is impressed this year, uh, def- you know, with their third-down conversion rate. Uh, right now, it's up to 42%. They're 74 of 176. That is marked improvement from a year ago. The problem with Jacksonville is they're one of the worst third-down defenses. In the NFL, they're four points worse Uh, defensively right now. They allow forty-six point eight two. They got to clean that up. But I think you know it as well as I do. This is a bend, but do not break defense. And when you really look at these type of numbers and and try to compare what's working and what's not working, a couple of things really, you know, really stick out. Number one, there's a a difference of seven in the turnover-takeaway ratio. All right? When you have a game that is expected to be as awful as the conditions are tomorrow night, perhaps the one number that you can look at more than any other that will define who wins and who loses is the turnover-to-takeaway ratio. Right now, Jacksonville, plus four. Right now, New York, minus three. Okay? That's a difference of seven. You talk about their offense. Let's take a quick peek here. Okay? Just talked about the Jaguars, their improvement this year. They're making 42% of their third down conversions. It's all about down and distance, right? Jacksonville, too many times over the years, they have found themselves third and six, seven, eight. When you get to a third and one, third and two, hmm your chances of getting a first down are going to be that much better. This year, the New York Jets 35% is what they are making on third down. So you can if you can get them in third and some distance and get them to three and out, all right? They're they're 50% on fourth down or just below it. They're 10 of 21. Uh but he, here again, here here's so when you, when you look at the numbers, because these are numbers that are huge. And, you know, I, I learned this a long time ago. This went back – when I really studied gambling and I was there – there were certain numbers that were so important to me. And, and rushing to pass, pass to rush was huge, uh, huge. Time of possession was enormous. Uh, Average per play was big. Certainly red zone scoring efficiency. I mean, last year Jacksonville was just over 50%. I need to get their latest numbers this year. Let me see if this particular uh, site has it. But, you know, settling for three as opposed to scoring seven is a dramatic difference. And I think it's one that is often overlooked by just the the casual gambler. You know, the casual gambler is going to take a look at the injury report, maybe study the weather, and then they're going to go on a hunch. But if you really dive into the numbers, to me, third down offense and third down defense is a major factor in a bet. So, the Jets get 35% of their third downs. The Jaguars, defensively, they allow 46 46.8% of third down uh, conversions, okay? That's a little scary. Where, where do you fit that number in? 35 and 46. It's it's not promising. It's, it's obviously right around 40 or 41. You, you do the flip side on all of this, and you go to Jacksonville, and what they're able to do offensively on third down, where they get it 42% of the time. You look at the Jets' defense. What do they do? Jets defensively, again, a very good third down conversion, 38%. Now, you can, that's why people, I mean, they they run this stuff through computers and they they get far deeper in it. And, you know, they'll take you down to third and distance and how successful you are, third and one compared to third and six, third and seven. To me, that's a little bit of overdoing it. uh, But I, I have a feeling. You know, I I really do, that when we look at who wins this game tomorrow night, I think the two numbers that will tell us why are turnover takeaways and third down conversion rate. Agree? Disagree? You make the case about any game that that's going to happen. But I don't hear – I mean, you produce another show as well. Do do you hear a lot of talk about third down conversion rate?
2: No. Uh, XL primetime, a lot less stat-based. Show than this one. Well, um, they got a lot of
1: talent. I, I need to <laughs> I need to fall on numbers in order to get through no, this, I'm this vigorous that, that, two-hour that's show. That's
2: a massive thing. You know, like, last week, both defenses were pretty terrible, I would say, in that game, obviously. Like, I think the Cowboys had—they were like 9 of 13 at one point on third down. The Jags were just about the same. That's so massive, man, to be able to keep a drive going— you know, keep the defense on the field. That's, that's huge. And, yeah, it's not something that you hear other people talk about. And turnovers, I mean, that, that to me is luck. I don't even really like turnover stats, s- specifically fumbles, so much luck involved with that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard for me to take that too seriously. But interceptions, I definitely look at.
1: Dallas was number one in the NFL in sacks with 48. They got one sack last week. That was Parsons. Parsons had 12 pressures. Here come the Jets. They have 35. That, that's a good defense. Um, again, only one sack. Now, the offensive line has changed, as you know. Walker Little at left tackle. Juwan Taylor not 100% at right tackle. For what it's worth, they allow 39 sacks a game. The Jets have given up a lot of sacks. Maybe the opportunity is right for a huge game. Tomorrow night again for Arden Key and Dewan Smoot. Josh Allen has gone consecutively now. Uh, two straight games with a sack. Do, do we perhaps see a little bit more in interesting conditions where y- they send a Lewicon or they send Devin Lloyd or, or they send Chad Muma? Uh, could there be some sort of exotic blitzes drawn up tomorrow night by Mike Caldwell? That, One of the I don't few know.
2: good things about Zach Wilson's game is he is quick. He is slippery. Um, a lot more so than Mike White. So uh, even if they get to the quarterback, I could see some plays of him getting out of the pocket, and that's the one thing that scares me about Zach Wilson. Literally the only thing is him getting out of the pocket and be able to chuck one downfield.
1: Yeah, and he can also move. Look what he did and, last year. Yeah, 80, 50-some-yard touchdown run. We Look at his numbers. So I'm going to grab a couple of calls here. Let's let me see his numbers here compared to last year. You know, he's only played eight games. His completion percentage is down. I mean, he completes 54.9% yeah, of his passes. Stinks. Crying out loud. I mean, that's like Anthony Richardson stuff. Wasn't Richardson like 53.9? 54.9. Six touchdowns, six picks. He's got a quarterback rating of 75-3. And, okay, he's running 20, 27 times for 101 yards. That's not bad. 53% completion for uh, AR this season. And he's got a 54-9. He was 55-6 a year ago, 54-9. You know, we were all, I know I was, all over Trevor as far as, hey, listen, you've got to improve in your completion percentage year one to year two. Just let me look back on this uh, just to kind of, uh, you know, explain what I'm getting at. All right, last year Trevor was 59-6. Right here this year he's an even 66%. In one year. And, as you know, Jacksonville leads the NFL with 31 drops. You add those 31, and I'm, I'm sure you can make this case for about every team. Not 31, but, you know, most teams have it in the teens or maybe in the 20 or so drops. Not 31. That's too many uh, for Jacksonville. Kevin is up. Welcome. Hi. Hey, Kevin.
3: My first time on the show. Thank you. I enjoyed yep. your show. Yep. Uh what I want to say about the game, I've been, you know, I'm not no quarterback expert, but I've been watching football for almost thirty years. I'm sixty years old. And um I wanna say this. Don't watch where Trevor's throwing the ball. It's not about how he's throwing it. I'm looking at that dynamic footwork. He's looking I mean, he's looking inspirational, soulful back there. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? The way he's avoiding the rust. His footwork is just improved, and I think it's his footwork, his accuracy, and I think that he's making those average receivers, uh, a couple of them, better. And I think it's the X factor. I don't think I think the Jaguars will win by ten points tomorrow. I don't think it'll be an issue. I think the Jaguars outright will beat uh, the Jets. Trevor will drive the ball downfield in the bad weather. I think Doug Peterson will have them prepared for this. This inclement weather game, they did some wet ball drills this week, and I think uh, I think we'll just keep seeing Trevor uh, uh, make witnesses out of all of us. I think he's the X Factor this whole year. I think they could win out and go in the playoffs. And if we go back to last year in the Cincinnati game, we had a garbage offense. Our offense is better this year, we don't have a number one receiver, but that may be the stick that because no one can key on anyone. Trevor spreads that ball out everywhere, and that's, I'm believing that. It's just an opinion, but I just I believe Trevor will drive the ball downfield. If confidence is growing, I think touchdown Jesus has arrived, and we just gonna all we're all bearing witness, and we, we, he's just gonna make us all believers. Thank you, Kevin.
1: Happy holidays to you, and you make a lot of good points. Yeah, some people may not realize this. Do you understand that Zay Jones right now has more receptions on the year than Christian Kirk? Oh, yeah. He's got 74, and Kirk's got 73. And you got Ingram now with 61. And he's got way more touchdowns than Kirk. Really spreading, uh, really spreading the wealth. Actually, Kirk has seven, and Zay's got five. What? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kirk's came earlier. Okay, it's I was I'm shocked by that. I think Zay's had what four in the last in two weeks. Yep. Um, also, let me say this as far as injuries: Corey Davis, a wide receiver, concussion limited yesterday, did go full today and yesterday. So it appears that Corey Davis, is a wide receiver, will play for the New York Jets tomorrow night. Uh, offensive line, okay, Dwayne Brown, their starting tackle a shoulder. He was limited yesterday. He was limited on Monday. He did practice in full today, so it appears that he is going to be able to give it a go. George Fant, their starting right tackle, okay? A knee limited yesterday, full yesterday, and today. But what did we we just talk about? The Jets allow 39 sacks. Both of Jacksonville's tackles are beaten up. Both of the New York Jets' tackles are beaten up in Dwayne Brown and George Fant. They're without wide receivers. Jeff Smith in Denzel Mims. Corey Davis, not 100%. They got the very talented rookie in Garrett Wilson. Uh, you know, Elijah Moore is there. Braxton Berrios is there. Uh, you know, they got some tight ends that they like. A zoom up. I want to say caught both touchdown passes last week. uh, Did C.J. Uzoma. And then you got Conklin as a tight end. So they do have some weapons. But I I, I just think Jacksonville matches up fairly well against this New York Jets offense. And again, no matter which way you look at it, man, completing 54% of your passes. That is not a good recipe at all for the Jets. All right. Uh, I guess we'll get to some of this coming up here in, in, just, a, uh, in just a little bit. 33-26 blue on your team. Would you prefer a big back or a smaller back uh, with different skill sets? The Tom Coughlin era, obviously a big back. I, ca- I kind of feel that would have been the case with, um, with Gus and with Marone. I know that Doug Peterson had a rotation of backs, including Garrett Blounte who was a big back. But I think kind of the twitchy guys is what is best for Doug Peterson and you know it's working right now for Travis Etienne it's amazing how twitter freaked out on him last week you know he had the early fumble and i tweeted out his you know the the major thing he's going to have to fix in the off season is fumbling the football and then all of a sudden people are like he's terrible and blitz pick up you can't do this he he's got no vision All of a sudden, you look up, the guy goes north of 100 yards and and bounce back. I am a little surprised that he has not been a bigger factor in the pass game. Only 27 receptions so far. I thought, you know, 50, 60. I really did. I, I thought that they were going to be huge numbers for him when it came to receiving the football. And I still think that that is going to grow. I mean, look, it, it took Ingram a little bit to get going. You know, I was asked about Evan Ingram a month ago. Are they going to re-sign this guy? And at the time, he was averaging just over three receptions a game. And I'm like, you're paying him $9 million for three receptions a game. And can you do better elsewhere? Well, all of a sudden, he's proven Every, all the naysayers wrong with this. He stayed healthy. For the most part, he's caught all his footballs. He has five drops on the year, which is not uh, spectacular. But still, it's, uh, it is an improvement for him. And then you look at what he's done over the last three weeks, man. Eight, uh, 24 receptions, 260 yards, and three touchdowns. Or two touchdowns. It's like all of a sudden, it's like, wow, yeah. You better find a way to keep. Evan Ingram in town. All right. We got much more to do. Good to have you with us. JJ's here. My name's Rick Ballou. We'll be here with you tonight till 8 o'clock. Then it's Hawker Nation.
3: Rocking around.
2: Christmas tree.
0: Into the night with Rick Ballou on 1010XL 92.5 FM. All right. We're off tomorrow night because of Jaguars football.
1: We will be back Friday, 6 to 8 out at Mr. Chubby's Wings and Ponte Vedra. Hopefully celebrating a Jaguars win. We'll have two-for-one drafts out there, two-for-one pitchers, domestics. That obviously does include Miller. Why, My buddy Danny Van Sickle is here. He is with the Electrical Training Alliance. Happy holidays to you, Danny. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good. You're back from Vegas. You look all uh, refreshed and all that. Yes, Yes, it's a very good time. Even though I know it was a business trip for you, things went well.
4: It was. It was. Got to meet some good contacts out there and did some training when I was out there and uh, come back here geared up for uh, for our holidays and for our new apprenticeship classes. Yep. Now, when does that all start? So, we just got done interviewing and in, earlier in December, uh, we decided on our amount. We took in two classes and they will start in January. Man, yeah, that's fantastic. We'll yep. get to that uh, more on that
1: coming up here. Did you make any future just bets on the Jags?
2: <laughs> you should have
1: no I didn't (laughs) didn't make any bet yeah I I did it's amazing so you saw at least one game on the road and you were back here now to see what uh did take place this past Sunday and of course there's a game tomorrow night what do you make of this enormous turnaround by the Jaguars
4: amazing I uh we were watching the game this past week uh you know we whenever they when when the Cowboys went up by two scores I was like you know what it was nice while it lasted. Yeah. Uh, Jaguars really hadn't been known for their defense. And I just figured, even though the offenses really came around over the last you know month or so, uh, I didn't think they were going to be able to keep up. And adjustments were made uh, on the Jaguars' end, and uh, the scores didn't come as easily for Dallas. Turnover help, Jaguars getting 14 points, I think, in three minutes. Also had a lot to do with it, too. Completely changed the complexion of the game, getting that turnaround. Um, didn't look good to begin with. i got, I could be honest. I'd like to sit here and say, I knew the Jaguars were going to win it the whole time, but I didn't. I did think though, that it wouldn't be a blowout. I figured Jaguars would come back in the second half, make it close. They could use it to build on. Uh, but of course the result that we got was a uh, spectacular. A lot of resiliency too.
1: I mean, ETN coughs it up, comes back, plays well. Uh, there was obviously a mistake on that route when, uh, Trevor threw his first pick and, and two hundred and four attempts, but tried to make a play and had the huge fumble. Yet the defense did their job aided by terrible play calling with Mike McCarthy and and Kellen Moore. And you turn around, you drive the field, you set up for a field goal, then you win an overtime. Um I don't care who the coach was or who the quarterback was, pre-Trevor Lawrence, this team does not do what they did a couple of days
4: ago. It doesn't. And I think that I think Dallas probably got a little complacent. I think that whenever they went up and they were like, you know what, it's the same old Jaguars. Yeah, they're a little bit better this year, but, you know, we've got a great work record. We're about to win this division. Let's just kind of not do anything crazy this second half. They're not going to be able to stop us. Let's keep on like we're going it's the same old Jaguars, maybe slightly improved, but, I mean, we're the Cowboys. Let's keep doing our thing. Let's get this victory. It's a road victory regardless of who it is, and let's get on out of here. And I think that by the time the Jags had evened it up and then caught up to them in the second half, I think the momentum had completely switched to Jacksonville. And Dallas, they did have a sense of urgency, but by that point, it was just too late. And you saw the urgency on the Jaguars. The um, sounds of the Jaguar uh, last night was really a, a great video, and I – Everybody really should watch it. To watch how the assistant coaches were talking to the players on the sidelines, they never gave up. And once Mm -hmm. that momentum went back Jacksonville's way, uh, Dallas couldn't do anything about it, really. You know, Dallas,
1: so much star power. If you were to just throw them all into a pool and, say, take the top 15 players, my guess is 10 or 11 maybe Dallas Cowboy players. I mean, they're that good of a team. Yet... You look at them, and they have the true number one wide receiver, even though he's a slot guy in C.D. Lamb. You turn that around, and and you look at Jacksonville. This is starting to create fits for defensive coordinators because it's not like they have the true number one. One week, it's Zay Jones. The next week, it's Evan Ingram. The next week, it's Christian Kirk. Yet, you have Marvin Jones making big plays. You have Jamal Agnew making big plays. You're getting contributions from
4: really everyone. The way how the league is set up is the really good teams just have a dominant alpha, right, as a wide receiver. And then they got some other guys who can take advantage of the double teams that number 1 is going to get. And that, you know, that the NFL is a copycat league. So a lot of teams are designed that way. The Jaguars aren't. So they don't have that number 1 dominant alpha but the guys that they do have are better than a lot of teams, twos. So what happens is if you're game planning, you're going to put you know a safety and the cornerback on the number one player and then take your chances with everybody else. When opposing defenses play the Jaguars now, they truly don't know who who to put the double on. If you put it on Zay, uh Christian's shown that he's going to get a lot of catches. Marvin Jones, every single game, at least makes one really good catch that puts them in a great position and makes them in a timely manner. And I think that I wouldn't be surprised if you to see more teams start to go that way and have maybe not that dominant alpha. Listen, everybody wants them. If you can get them, that's great. But if you don't, um, all's not lost if you got some really good guys behind them. Well, they may not be alphas, but they're getting paid like alphas. <laughs>
1: and for the most part, the three that we're talking about have, have now absolutely really produced with Obviously, a lot of football left. Still three more games. Danny Van Sickle with me. Uh, one of our biggest sponsors is uh, the Electrical Training Alliance. Um, I always preview in a game, try, try to look at things a little bit differently, maybe a little bit of zen, if you will, or, or perhaps not. I don't know. But the last two weeks, they're dogs, and they snapped that streak in Tennessee. Dallas has a lead, man. I mean, they come back 27-10. to 10 late in the third quarter and win a game. So they they get two big knockouts against teams that I think most believe would knock them off. Now, for me, this becomes a, all right, you're going to get picked. The national media, most of them, or at least more than half of them, are going to say Jacksonville is going to win tomorrow night in New Jersey. How does this team now learn to handle winning games
4: that they're supposed to win? All you can hope is that they just keep that fire. You hope that they don't get the syndrome that that Dallas got. And, hey, we got this under control. Let's just kind of get on cruise control and get on out of here. And, really, if you look at the history of the team, they haven't earned the right to be on cruise control for anything. I don't care how good that they're playing right now. They need to stick with that hunger. And, really, the really good teams out there, whenever they smell blood, they don't let off and let their prey die. They Mm -hmm. finish it off. So, hopefully, teams like the Jets – that they're playing against. Houston, they should be. How in the world they keep losing to Houston, I have no idea. They should beat that team. They should beat the Jets. And especially with what you heard today about Tannehill, you just got to deject Tennessee out there. Don't get me wrong. Tennessee has still got some good players, even without Tannehill. They've got some really good players out there. So what you're hoping is that you have a chance that when you get to that game, you don't give them a chance to stay in it. You put them away, and you put them away quick. And that's something that the Jaguars, the Jaguars have not done this year. They have really haven't been a, a first-half team. And the one or two times that they really did score really good in the first half, they found ways to lose those games by letting the other team come back in the second half. So what they need to do really is to demoralize these next couple of opponents. Listen, it's also the end of year. These teams who know they're not going to the develop playoffs – some of them guys, they start to mail it in, man. They're making business decisions. They're looking at their future. And if you look at the teams they're playing, Houston, New York Jets, they, they're they not going to be. I mean, the, the New York Jets have a chance, but nobody really considers them a serious playoff team, right? So it's with their quarterback carousel that they have. So you got to hope that you play these teams. But I don't care if you're milling in or not. If you think you can win the game and you're in the fourth quarter, you're going to play hard, and the Jaguars just need to put these teams away that they're supposed to be. Last six opponents
1: for Jacksonville, down 14-0 against Dallas, down 14-7 in Tennessee, down 23 in Detroit, down 6 nothing here against Baltimore with two drop touchdown passes. Should have been 14-0. Down 20 nothing to KC, down 17 nothing here against the Raiders. Obviously, they came from behind to win it. Last year, I was in New York on Christmas Day. They played the day after. They went to New England the week after on New Year's Day. They were there for both holidays. You had an interim coach. The season was playing itself out. This is a totally different vibe, okay? Zach Wilson completing 54% of his passes. Next week, it's the combination of Davis Mills and Jeff Driscoll. Then it looks like you're getting the final week of the year, Malik Willis, when Nashville comes here. All incredibly winnable games for this franchise to keep things rolling. What do you think the next three
4: weeks? What do you believe? Well, first of all, the only reason why Zach is playing is because the guy that replaced him got hurt. Make no mistake about that. Had he not gotten hurt, Zach wouldn't even be playing this game, right? Um, He's saying all the right things right now, but you can tell he's been coached up to say these things. How he answered a couple of weeks ago, which originally got him benched, that is the true Zach Wilson oh, yeah. Don't get it mistaken, right? So now he's saying what he's supposed to say. They're told him, hey, you can't say this, but no matter what he says, how he feels is how he feels. He's not going to be a great – he's not a great quarterback. Now, I think he has good skill set. If you look at what – he can make the throws, he can do those things, but he's just not – you don't get the feeling that he's a good fit up there, right? Mm-hmm. So, yes, you should win that one. Davis Mill, I mean, he flashed a little bit last year. But nobody had any tape on him either. you know, And they didn't expect him to be there. Deshaun was supposed to be there. So now that he's been there a year, how has Davis Mills done this year? Not good. Why? Because teams have seen that he has a limited skill set and they can game plan for him coming down. I mean, Malik Willis, really, quick, That one could go out of the way now. Because just like with Davis Mills, they don't have a lot of tape on him. He's an athletic, running quarterback. Uh, you're hoping that the Jaguars' defensive staff has a good game plan for him. i be honest with you. I like their chances better with Tannehill. I know most people think I'm crazy. Hey, Uh, it's good that they're having the backup quarterback coming in. You know what you have with Tannehill, right? Tannehill's the kind of guy that as long as they're ahead or they got a score or two that he can hand off to Henry and you don't need him to win the game, they're good. When you need him to win the game, he has not shown a history of being good. You don't know what you're getting with Malik now. He might be a guy that might torture for some long runs. What you got to hope there is that you get him down on the ground and that he doesn't – um take advantage of you not being able to cover him because you're not expecting him to run. What'd you make of the Florida State signing class? I think it was it, it was good. Don't be wrong. There's always room for improvement. Um uh, whenever you go back like we do, I mean we're used to seeing these signing classes with nothing but five and four stars. A three star never even made it, right? They're not quite there yet. But I also think that they had so many people come back and they're not going to suffer a lot of attrition that they have limited numbers this year. I believe 16, 18 kids is all that they signed. You know, you look at Florida, Miami, what would they sign, 26, 28 kids? I mean, they have a lot of kids that they're signing over there, right? So obviously your ranking is not going to be as high. Um, And really, like we were talking before the break, I think now with the transfer portal – it don't matter what five stars you get. Uh, if it's not a good fit for them, they're not going to stick around. Texas A&M had the best class in the history of ever signing classes last year. how that work out for them? <laughs> how many of them have left that program? that, more that than not part of that class, North right? North of
1: 20. Uh, uh, that class, I don't know, but I know overall more than 20. Right,
4: right. So it didn't. Now, now don't, don't get me wrong. That's much better than signing a bunch of no stars or one Wimble. stars or two stars. I, I'm, not, I'm never going to say that. Jimbo, for all of his faults, has some great lines. Man, it's about Jimmy's and Joe's, not X's and O's. you got to get the players in there. Florida State does need some some more players in there, so you like to see that ranking a little bit higher. Um, But if you look at where they came from and you look at where they're at, I mean, you can't consider anything so far this season but a success for them.
1: I'm not a fan of the transfer portal, but it's worked at Florida State, and I I believe it's going to work again, uh, particularly on the offensive line. Uh, and as well, you know, getting that defensive tackle uh, from Miami, still holding out hopes they get this uh, defensive back out of uh, Virginia. And, and the other side of Florida State is some of the guys who may have left elected to come back, beginning with, with Jordan Travis. That is, uh, that is huge. I, I just I, – I, this is a better class than it's been, but in my opinion, Norvell, as early as next year, has got to start hitting – again, with these recruits coming out of high school. This is a better class than he's had. I'm, I'm aware of that. But uh, anyway, yeah, it feels pretty good over there
4: right now. It does. And if you look at this year, uh, really, it's a success. At, before the season we were talking, you went on air, you predicted, what, six wins. Yeah. Um, I predicted seven wins. Right. Okay. Um, they got the nine. Right, so you can't call this season anything but a success. Can I get a 10 out of you? Can I get a 10 next week? <laughs> a little week too after? early right now. And, and really, I heard you say it before I came on the air, the North Carolina – listen, the, the the Clemson game, they, they made close, but Clemson mm-hmm. was better than them, right? So I'm better. not going to fool myself on this one. Um, I would say Wake was probably better than them, even though FSU had a chance to win that one. Uh, FSU was clearly better than North Carolina State. That's the yeah. one that they should have won. They should have had 10 regular season victories. But, you know what, sometimes those get away. I mean, I saw Jimbo, with a dominant team, lose the NC State. He let them score 17 points oh, in the yeah. fourth quarter, and they're up by 14 nothing. So, it happens even when you have dominant classes like Jimbo has. So, what you're hoping now is that they – and not to steal your thunder because you said it earlier, when the games you're supposed to win – and the games that that you're not supposed to win, go 50-50 in those games, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look at what they've done and you look at the bidders that they had this year, and listen, they did get a five-star wide receiver out of that class, too. That could have went anywhere. He had Mario calling him up to the last minute. Dion was calling him, and he actually said on his sign day today, hey, I ain't no Travis Hunter. I'm not switching. So I think what you have to get that culture in there. Obviously, there's plenty of room for improvement on that, but – He hasn't shown you anything to show that they're not going to improve next year if you look at the trend over the last several years. All right,
1: let's get this out right now. Uh, Danny Van Sickle uh, with the Electrical Training Alliance. We're getting ready to wrap up uh, the year. And obviously in January, school is is starting for you folks. But this the entire year, and uh, whether you're someone out there that is looking to change a career, maybe you're younger and you're considering going to school but you just can't afford it, at this particular time, moms and dads, if you're wondering about your son or daughter and and what's next for them as far as their future, tell us all about the Electrical Training Alliance.
4: Yeah, so the Electrical Training Alliance is a five-year electrical apprenticeship, and our students work full-time jobs during the day. We have over 10 companies that they may work for, uh, and then you go to school two nights a week. And one of the best things about our school, Rick, is that there's no tuition with us. You just have to get accepted into the program. The only cost are the books and the course fees, right? So there's no tuition, no student debt. You are earning as you learn. You're working a full-time job as you're going to school two nights a week. So this isn't like a college where you're working at Chili's and Applebee's to kind of make some gas money and make ends meet. You are actually working a full-time job. You're learning a trade. And the things that you learn at night in school, you're actually able to put in practice during the daytime while you're getting paid, there's with us, there's no unpaid internship. There is no job shadowing with us. Mm-hmm. You start your career right off the bat. You start going to school right off the bat. Uh, and we've got entry level positions right now for people that haven't even gotten into the apprenticeship. We take because we take applications all year long. And we don't want someone who wants to start doing electrical work to wait till they get accepted into the school. So we got positions right now where they can go to work and they'll work on that process of getting in the apprenticeship. And then once they get in the apprenticeship, they know what they're dealing with because they're already worked ahead of time. So we got immediately open positions for people to come in. We take applications year round. And we just want the best young men and women out there.
1: Love it. What's the best way for folks to get a hold of you as well as the website?
4: Uh, Good. Uh, our website is etajax.org. You can apply online there from the comfort of your home. Uh, YouTube channel is there. We got pictures of us there. Uh, descriptions of the program is there. You can always call us, 904-737-7533. And we would love to talk to you more about the program.
1: Bring me to Vegas next time. We'll do our <laughs> show out there. I like it. I haven't been there since the Knowles beat Auburn, and that was next door in L.A. It was. Yeah. It's been a while since I've been in Vegas. Hey, always good to see you. Happy holidays to you. Thank you, brother. Merry Christmas. That's Danny Van Sickle. He is with the Electrical Training Alliance. All right, let's put our final touches on this one right here on this Wednesday night edition. My name is Rick Ballew. Hacker will join you at 8.
0: to the Night with Rick Ballew on 1010XL 92.5 FM.
1: All right, final moments. Thank you to Danny Van Sickle. That is a phenomenal company. So check them out. The Electrical Training Alliance. A little bit more of a money dump on this Wednesday. All of a sudden, this line, which opened even... Jacksonville in New Jersey against the Jets has gone to one and now one and a half. Wow. The total in this game is thirty seven. Amazing. So they're expecting a very low scoring game. You know, twenty points absolutely could win this game tomorrow night. All right, let's give our uh, let's give our picks on it. i'll I'll let you go first. We're back on Friday. We'll have our official picks. We'll be out at Mr. Chubby's wings. In Ponte Vedra Beach from 6 to 8 obviously will not be on tomorrow night because of the Jaguars football game. But you're up, J.J. How do you see this game tomorrow yeah,
2: night? Yeah, quickly, we had some people on the text line asking about it. The game will be on local TV if you don't have Amazon. It's going to be on Fox tomorrow.
1: Oh, that's right. I was wondering why they were asking. Is that whole streaming deal. Yeah, a lot of people don't have it. I wonder if Al Michaels is going to bitch tomorrow <laughs> night. He's actually got a pretty good game.
2: I'm, so I guess they're going to use Al Michaels' broadcast, but on local Fox. It's going to be weird. Um, but I love the Jags in this spot. Honestly, I don't think the Jets have much of a chance unless it's like the weather's terrible and they're getting a few fumbles, return one for a touchdown, make it really ugly. I think the Jets' offense is terrible. I think Zach Wilson's going to have a bad day, and I think the Jags win by multiple scores.
1: What is going on tomorrow night with TV? Because I heard someone earlier say that Paselli's doing it on TV. Oh, so maybe there's a local broadcast. Hmm. I thought I heard I'm Brooks. Not said, sure. I thought I heard Lauren Brooks say that earlier today.
2: Could be true. See, that's
1: what happens when I listen to this station not under the influence of anything. You know, even though I was in... You
2: still don't know what you heard. (laughs) Yeah, I mean,
1: I got to believe, I thought that this would be an Al Michaels Kirk Street. Maybe they got off because of the holidays or something. I don't don't know. know.
2: No, they're definitely doing Amazon. Yeah. I know that. But the local broadcast, I assume they would just take the Amazon feed and put it on there. But maybe you're right. Maybe they actually have to do a whole different local broadcast because it is an NFL rule that... Every game has to be on a
1: local TV station. Hmm. Well, I heard you say it, so I, I don't know. I, I will just uh, – I'll be there looking forward to it <laughs> tomorrow night. I like Jacksonville as well. I'm going to say 2017, so I'm going to take the under uh, as well. And, you know, looks well, play it well. I guess 37 now is officially on it. It was a little bit higher in the week. I just think this really is a low-scoring game tomorrow night and some terrible elements, but Jacksonville's rolling – they're a better team than the Jets. And, you know, kind of like what Danny Van Sickle said a few moments ago, feel free not to be down 14-0 in this game. Feel free to get something going on in the first half and, and don't have to rely on making spectacular plays in the fourth quarter and, of course, last week in overtime. But I do like Jacksonville. Give me the Jags' 20 All right, that's going to do it. The next time I speak with you, uh, you'll get me somewhat tomorrow on the radio broadcast team, but the next show will be 6 to 8 out at Mr. Chubby's Wings, Friday night out in Ponte Thank you to Danny Van Sickle, among others. Our producer is Jay Jay. My name is Rick Ballew. I will talk with you Friday at 6.